just to make sure the levels are okay. Uh, Chris, can I ask you uh, what you had for breakfast? What did I have for breakfast? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. That is actually. Is, the that, most is this a sound test? Is, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, this is it. Breakfast. This is how all our podcasts <laughs> actually start. Genuinely interested in what you had for breakfast. Had a Nespresso. Nespresso. Nespresso and a. Yeah, that was it actually. I had a bloody Nespresso and some sushi. <laughs> the sushi and, was more lunch. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, Nespresso and sushi is a, <laughs> it's a combination to make you ill. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Not ideal. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, a podcast all about Japan. I'm Oscar Boyd. Over the past decade, creating videos for YouTube has gone from pastime to profession for creators who have amassed followings in the millions. On today's episode, I talk to two such creators who are based in Japan, Chris Broad of Abroad in Japan and Sharla of Charmander fame. Between the two of them, they have over 2 million subscribers on the platform, which means a lot of people see them as a primary source of information about this country. Both Chris and Charlotte are longtime residents of Japan's northern Tohoku region, and the area has provided inspiration for many of their videos, which include everything from long-form documentaries on the Fukushima disaster to road trip odysseys and behind-the-scenes access to love hotels. Chris and Charlotte came down to Tokyo in the aftermath of Typhoon Hagibis, which is where we start this week's episode. So how are you guys doing? Did you survive, survive the uh, typhoon at the weekend? Yeah, didn't really make it up to where I am in Iwate. There were some stronger winds than usual, though. That was about it. Yeah, some nasty flooding in Sendai, but generally it wasn't too bad. There was actually a town where I filmed a video in a few years ago called uh, Marumori. It's mm-hmm. about an hour and a half south of Sendai. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I did a video there, and it's, yeah, it's completely underwater. And it's really badly affected. And that kind of hit home for me. You know, when you see a flood, it's sad. But when you see a flood of somewhere you know, mm. it certainly hits home a lot harder. And uh, yeah, no, it was quite shocking to see that. I hope they recover because mm. it's, it's horrible. I can't imagine what it must be like having your possessions just ruined beyond repair like that. Well, I interviewed a couple of our staff members for uh, the podcast and one of them had to spend a night in the evacuation shelter and another one was up in Nagano staying oh, with her grandma. Really? And, uh, luckily it was she was quite okay. quite bad in Nagano, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. but she, she went and filmed some pretty amazing footage actually of the waters like, Jeez. you know, up to the top of the first story. Oh, which oh is, my God. I heard that $300 million worth of Shinkansen's got like ruined really? by, the, by the floods yeah. in, in Nagano. That is a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. So what brings you two down to Tokyo? To see today? you. Oscar. To see you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And how lucky I am. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the real reason no um, what am I doing there Don't I'm in really. town for some work with my agency Tokyo Creative and I've also got a friend visiting for America so I'm going to show her around for the week I am um, I, I, I often come down to Tokyo once a month for, uh, as much as up to a week and I see friends I plan videos and most of my friends and contacts are here in Tokyo it's mm. just wildly inconvenient that I live up in Sendai North Japan but it's only you know hour and a half by bullet train so I never feel that disconnected from it um, but no, I've been planning a video about mascots. Mascots. Japanese mascots. So it's been a long time coming. Popular topic. Foreigners mm. love Japanese mascots at the moment. And I met with a, a guy uh, called Chris who runs Mondo Mascots, which is one of the biggest mascot resources in Japan on Twitter. And we had a chat about it. I wanted to get the lowdown from the expert before I went out and made my video. And is this video, is it Olympic focused? No, it is honestly just going to focus on some of the weirder and wackier mascots in in and around Japan. 
And I want to ask you too about where you live because you kind of imagine that two of the biggest YouTubers in Japan would actually live in Tokyo, <laughs> where potentially the most people are,、mm. potentially the most content、mm. is. But both of you live up in the Tohoku region,、yeah. which is north of Tokyo. As you said you're in Sendai, about an hour and a、yeah. half away. Uh, you live in I'm in Morioka. Morioka, yeah. Okay, beautiful. Little about an, another hour up north past Chris.、Mm. <laughs> so, how did you guys end up there? Well, I ended、places? up in、um, Yamagata Prefecture in 2012 as an English teacher on the J、uh, on the Jet Program, Japan Exchange Teaching Program.、Um, I didn't go there by choice. I wanted to go to Kobe because I thought, oh yeah, beef. <laughs> That'd be good. Let's、oh、get a COVID.、Um, and they were like, "No, you're not going there. You're going to Yamagata."、So、and I was like, "What got is that?" Snow and yeah.、Cherries. Well, like, the problem was back in 2012, there was nothing on Yamagata or barely. There wasn't that much on Tohoku in general. And、mm. um, you know, I looked up Yamagata on Wikipedia, and there was like one line. It just said Yamagata is famous for cherries. And I was like, "Oh yeah, cherries." <laughs> and the cherries are good. To be fair, I can now attest that the cherries are very good.、Um, but yeah, no, there was nothing to go on. I got there and it was amazing. I lived in the shadow of the tallest volcano in North Japan, two thousand two hundred meter tall Mount Chokai on the、mm. coast in this reclusive region called、uh, Shonai. It's a beautiful plain surrounded by mountains in the Sea of Japan. And I had a great three years. And after I finished teaching,、um, I wanted to stay in Tohoku, but the problem was、uh, Sakata and Yamagata. It was a bit too remote,、mm. so I wanted the best of both worlds. I still wanted to be in Tohoku, but I wanted to live in a city. Better connected, and that's why I chose Sendai. And it's been、uh, a great three or four years living in Sendai. It's a fantastic city as well. And Charlotte, how about yourself? What、uh, what drew you to Morioka? When I first moved to Japan, when I was nineteen, I was in Morioka actually for three years. Then I went back to Canada for a little bit to finish university. And、um, what year was this that、oh, you were? Jesus, <laughs> the year of Jesus. I was nineteen, and I'm thirty. How old am I? Thirty-three. I'm 33 now, so math. 14 <laughs> years ago, so what year is that? 2005. Yeah, wow, 2005. So I lived in Morioka for three years in 2005. Okay, I, so this is pre-earthquake. Yes, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, I moved back to Canada for a while.、Um, I was in Canada when the earthquake happened, and I wanted to move back to Japan. Um, to help with recovery or anything that I could, really, I just felt really helpless staying in Canada. So I, I tried to go back to Morioka, but I was in university at the time. The only option I had for a university exchange was in Chiba Prefecture, so that's where I ended up when I moved back.、Uh, I went to university there, and then I kind of stayed in the Tokyo area for about six years. After I graduated, I joined a Japanese company. Didn't last long. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Quit, and have been doing YouTube ever since. But Um, once I kind of had the freedom to move wherever I wanted, I decided to go back to Morioka because I really just enjoyed it a lot more than I do the big cities. And like Chris said, it's even though we're way up there in the north, we can take the bullet train down in just a couple hours, so you don't really feel like you're stuck out there or anything.、Um, but you get the nice, quiet atmosphere, and I feel like people are friendlier and just more chill. And it's, just, it's more like Canada. It's kind of like. The best parts of Canada、mm. and Japan combined. I just feel more comfortable there. And if Yamagata is famous for cherries, what's、uh, Morioka's? Morioka's famous for noodles, actually.、Um, Wanko soba. It's like、uh, you eat as many bowls of soba <laughs> as you can. It's a contest. It's horrible. I've done it twice now. I think. And I, oh god! How、He's, many bowls did you manage? 
96, I think, was my record. Oh, wow. Was that it? <laughs> Couldn't, 112. <laughs> oh, oh, I haven't been able to beat the 100 mark. I will do it. Uh, and a couple other types of noodles, but Wonko Soba is the one that sticks in my mind because it's just absolutely horrible. <laughs> but everyone's going to try it once. So it's part of my... Uh, well, not my research. I got an intern to do some research on your oh. on your videos. <laughs> oh, um, cheating a little bit, but they had a nice day watching your videos. Um, <laughs> the earliest one I could find from you, Charlotte, was back in 2011. Yeah, that's when and I started. It September. was you talking about university exchange and just doing yeah. quite a simple um, introduction yeah. in Japanese. Yes. And then Chris was about a year later, 2012, I believe, and mm. you took a different approach. You waxed lyrical about a hawk. Oh, that yeah, <laughs> that bloody hawk. <laughs> Every morning, generally without fail, uh, I get woken up by a hawk. At least I think it's a hawk. I don't know a lot about uh, birds, and I don't really care for birds much, but... Uh, yes, yeah, so I lived in an apartment, and I, every morning I was woken up by this unruly hawk, just squawking like it was my kind of <laughs> organic alarm clock. It was, <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, this hawk just went off and used to wake me up. It was kind of annoying, but also kind of poetically brilliant. Strangely pleasant. Strangely pleasant. <laughs> then the hawk disappeared after six months. I never saw it again. It's kind of sad, really. Sad. And just as I was beginning to love the hawk. In Tokyo, we just get the crows. But um, what what for, what's prompted that kind of first foray into YouTube for both of you? Uh, I was kind of forced into it. Um, it, <laughs> it was a requirement uh, to join the university exchange to the university in Chiba. I had to keep a an online account of my experience there in order to help future students kind of get a look into what it would be like if they did the same thing. And I'm just absolutely horrible at writing. So I said, I can't do that. Can I make videos instead? So yeah, I did it on YouTube, not thinking that anybody other than these future exchange students would look at it. Unfortunately, other people <laughs> did. <laughs> so yeah, for the first, I want to say half a year or so, it was really just a really boring account of me sitting in my room saying what I did at university that day. And when did you realize that people were kind of actually watching? And <laughs> yeah, out, I started to that, like so yeah. slowly, I did them in Japanese just so I would get something out of it. I felt like I was kind of practicing my language skills. Um, so I would get some Japanese viewers and all of a sudden there was like, I don't know, a couple hundred people that I didn't know watching them. And I felt kind of pressured to make them a little more interesting. <laughs> so I'd like, talk about foods that I liked and bring in props and stuff um, and then one of the videos went viral and I got a flood of subscribers and that's when I thought shit I should probably leave my room and <laughs> really try a little harder <laughs> and that's when it turned into like an actual thing yeah and Chris how about yourself well I started out as a way of just showing off to friends and family back home like wow look at Japan it's cool and then nobody watched them <laughs> uh, so, yeah, including so I, your friends and family or? yeah they were like oh it's good but nobody cares Chris I was like, oh. but then people uh, interested in Japan stumbled across the videos found them and they kind of took off from there I used to focus on things that I thought would do well I, I made one of the first videos on robot restaurant mm. it was my third or fourth video it was on robot restaurant and that kind of had a little bit of viral success it got like 20,000 views or something um, and then from there it uh, some of the videos went on Reddit. People put the videos on Reddit, and then the channel really took off. But it took about a year before the channel 
but Born in Japan was anything special or any, with any amount of subscribers. After one year of doing YouTube, I had about five videos and yeah, I think I had about a thousand subscribers, if that. Um, and I never really expected it to amount to anything. But then, yeah, after it went viral on Reddit, it, it, I got 2,000 subscribers in a day, I think. Oh, wow. And what really what were people off. saying about it at the time? What, well, I think what? it was the video I made called um, Culture Shock in Japan. I just sort of talked about what it was like being in Japan those first few months. I was pretty blunt about what it was like. I think Japan might be one of those few countries in the world where you can sit and eat Ghana and drink sour cowpiss whilst simultaneously watching a man hypnotise a woman into having a seizure. Yeah, I think people found it quite entertaining. I put a lot of effort into it. I spent weeks filming it, editing it, scripting it, whatever, uh, to, to put it up. And uh, yeah, and it, 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 was, uh, it was about 14 months before it got discovered, put on Reddit, went viral. And so 14 months after publishing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's crazy. So a long time. Yeah. But, but looking at your video, certainly, um, you seem to take a slightly different approach, or at least in your early ones, in that they weren't the typical, hey, I'm in Japan. It was mm. more acerbic, a bit grumpy, yeah. is that fair to say? I'm definitely influenced by like British TV, like Charlie Brooker and Screenwipe mm. and things like that. You know, Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I liked scripting it out. I liked planning it out. Each video was like its own little project for me. Uh, I got really wrapped up in, and I spent like, you know, I spent a month just working one video, and I was very proud of it. I released it online, and then I went to the next one. I never saw the vlogs as something that was disposable. I saw it as something that meant a lot to me each video even now you know i always make sure i put a lot of energy and effort into each one and it's kind of crafted as meticulously as i can do it mm. yes. yeah. i want to move on to a bit about the evolution of your channels later but first i want to ask what do you see the role of your channels in japanese culture japanese life um and as kind of a gateway for people interested in Japan? For me, as someone who's lived in Tohoku, I always refer to it as like Japan's best kept secret. And mm. I think most foreigners coming to Japan, coming to Japan do the same kind of routine, the same itinerary, Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, maybe Hiroshima, the golden route. Um, but, you know, for me, having lived here eight years, all the best moments I have are in Tohoku. And I feel like, you know, foreigners coming on holiday here, overseas tourists coming here would have a great time in Tohoku and I kind of want to get it seen by the world, you know, want to showcase it. So, yeah, my focus was always in Tohoku. Most of my videos are set there for that reason. Mm, it's, yeah, similar for me, but also I, I really wanted to show people what everyday life in Japan is like, kind of show them that it's not as crazy and wacky as everybody makes it out to be. It does have its crazy and wacky points, but just everyday life in Japan could be pretty normal and similar to North America, really. Um, so that's why most of my videos are just kind of chill vlogs just to give people a peek into what it's like living here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, also to showcase places that don't get put in the media much that I love and I feel sad that people never go to visit them because mm. they don't hear about them. Um, we recently went down to the Shimanami Kaido and did the cycling route there. And we've gotten so many messages from people that have done it since. Oh, it's absolutely and beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. And I feel like we kind of influenced them to do that. That's really great. So yeah. things like that, yeah. I uh, invited my sister to come do that with me. Oh, did you? Uh, oh, great. Maybe three years ago. Yeah. Promising her, you know, the stunning views, the beautiful bridges, <laughs> and it was nothing but fog for oh, no, are you two serious? days. And, oh no! You know, we, were, we were discussing halfway through, and like the first 
day we actually did in the dark because the ferry was delayed and we couldn't oh, bring our bikes. Oh, that's horrible. But that turned out to be the better day because at least you could see lights in the distance. Oh, <laughs> dear. During oh, the day, it was just like the next day was just blank slate. Kind of oh, white fog you got to do it again. Yeah, you I know. I need to get back there. I just still <laughs> loved it though. Even, even with that, it was a pretty special experience. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The bridges themselves are pretty neat. Um, but the sunset was just ridiculous. You gotta yeah. do it again. I mean, in terms of physical challenges you can do in Japan, I'd put that above like climbing Mount Fuji. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, the views on the cycle were much better. Do you worry that by publicizing a small place to a big global audience that you might, uh, I don't wanna say ruin it, but cause an influx of tourists or people who would change the character of that place? Mm. I've had that problem with uh, certain. Uh, things such as a hair salon <laughs> or a restaurant um, that was not so well known before and then I made a video on it and now every time I go there it's crowded I can't get my own spot but as for places I feel like most of our viewers are so far away it's not like they can pop over to Japan the next day after they see it in our video so um, even if we have an influence um, it's going to be gradual over the years and it's not going to be everybody coming at once so as for like places, no, but little restaurants and shops, <laughs> I have had that issue. Yeah. Mm. And if you had uh, any desperate shop owners coming up to you, be like, please take, <laughs> take down the video. Please tell them it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always wary of, of where I do. I think if I did something in Tokyo, I'd be careful what place I was promoting because mm. it could cause problems. But for the most part, it's, it's good. Um, I remember I did uh, promote a Yulkan. I put a Yulkan in a video, there's one in Yamagata in the south in a town called Yonezawa, beautiful place. And the video went viral, got like, I think it's got like a million views now. And the day we released the video, the Leo Khan got rung up by, uh, they were called by Rakuten. They were like, on our Rakuten travel page, your Leo Khan is getting crazy views at the moment. What the hell's going on? It's got more <laughs> views than any other page on the website. And they were like, wow, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> but even then, it, it, it didn't, you know, it mounted to lots of people going, but it wasn't like, overwhelming amounts mm. over the course of the year they had an influx of foreign tourists mm. um and it was good for them but it wasn't overwhelming so yeah i can definitely i definitely worry about that though if i was to go into a nice ramen shop or something mm. um that was kind of nice and cute and small and i promoted it and then thousands of people turned up and ruined it i'm more <laughs> careful about what i show now if i really like a place mm. i'll probably <laughs> save it for myself yeah and I mean, the good thing about tohoku is it is a little bit remote right, right. so the likelihood of people going there is going to be lower so i don't find it to be too much of an issue mm. yeah. looking through your videos um they both of you have evolved so much since your early days. I mean, as you said, you were Should kind of sat in your so. room. My I think. God. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you also sat in your room largely for the first video. You're now, uh, the most recent one I saw on your page, Charlotte, was a Tohoku um, road trip. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then, Chris, I think you did quite an extended documentary about Fukushima. Yes. Yeah, I was in Fukushima. Tell me. Exclusion zone. So tell me a bit about that evolution, how you've managed to go from small scale. Um, yeah, smaller mm. projects to, to these kind of larger, much more adventurous projects and how that's come about. Well, for me, I always wanted to be a filmmaker and YouTube for me was just like a, a gateway to making that happen, right? And the Fukushima documentary I recently made, I see that as trying to raise the bar on myself and try and push myself harder to have something It could be part of a portfolio. Maybe if I ever went to a TV show, I could be like, look, I've done something that's <laughs> not just me in a room swearing and being angry about something. <laughs> um, so I've always... For Charlie Brooker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've always um, 
tried to push myself as a, as a filmmaker. It's, it's surreal to walk through a town that was once so full of life, now slowly being consumed by nature. Half of it hidden away behind barricades in a contaminated no-go zone. As he walked past... The... I don't see any reason why the videos I make now shouldn't be at the quality of at least television, low-budget TV level. You know, I want to get to that point. Um, so, yeah, that's always been my goal, to reach that point. I'm always within range mm. now. Yeah, the quality on YouTube's just risen over the years. You know, eight years ago, it was okay to sit in your room and just talk to a webcam. You can't really do that now. Guys, good morning from the middle of a really beautiful rice field. How pretty is it? The rice is almost ready to be harvested, so the color is just amazing. I'm waiting here because some friends are about to come pick me up for a road trip. We're going on a road trip. Yeah, I mean, you certainly need to obviously you're, you're raise kind of forced the quality to raise the bar to, yeah. to keep up. YouTube's changing. Yeah, um, cameras get better quality gets better and people just expect it yeah exactly absolutely yeah. so i see it as keeping up you know yeah. trying to keep up with youtube trying to keep up with trends and push myself as a filmmaker as well and are you seeing more respect from people around you in terms of um kind of being youtubers i think when people started out as being youtubers like, oh, what's that you know is mm. that a career are you, are you are you not just you know an amateur filmmaker or mm. kind of a wannabe but now it seems like there is a bit more respect mm, definitely. do you find that it's definitely more understood now. People can kind of see that you can build a proper career out of it. Depends on the age of the person you're talking to. I think right. if they're over 50, they don't take you as seriously. If right. 30 or whatever, then yes, you're fine. There's mm. a sense of curiosity. What do you do? How do you do that for a living? You know. Um, but yeah, no, certainly in the early days, it was a bit awkward. They'd be like, <laughs> what do you do? I'd be like, I'm a YouTuber. And they'd be like, oh. Oh, look, there's a wall over here. And then sort of just walk <laughs> off. And, like, oh, crap. Yeah. and what about going to the immigration centre? Do they, do they understand that? Oh, yeah. God. Not, it's fine. I remember trying to apply for a credit card here and then putting down YouTube as my job. They're like, no, you need to put a real job. <laughs> I just kept getting denied. I've never gotten a credit card in Japan because so I don't have a proper job. It's still not really considered a job here. <laughs> You guys are both part of agencies, correct? Tokyo Creative. Yes. Um, yeah. How did that come about, and and kind of when did it start professionalizing in that way? Mm. Um, my friend Chris Okuno, who was a YouTuber himself, he worked for a travel company, and then he had the idea of making a network. Um, I've been a part of several networks. That never really works out. The network model: you basically pull creators together, you take twenty percent of their revenue, and you try and create some sort of benefit. But it never really worked. Tokyo Creative didn't have that model. They didn't take any money, basically. So that was nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Tokyo Creative has been a, it's been a great collaboration. They helped me produce my Journey Across Japan cycle series. I basically went across Japan for uh, two months, and every day I made a vlog about where I was, and I cycled and I filmed it, and they supported me through that. And in return, I kind of shouted out Tokyo Creative a few times. It was kind of a nice win-win situation. Uh, and it's nice to be able to collaborate with other creators. Mm. Uh, that's another aspect of it. You know, you've got a lot of the uh, foreign vloggers in Tokyo and in Japan are part of it. And so mm. you can hang out and bounce ideas off of one another, which you're always looking to do in any creative sector, I guess. Yeah. It's just nice to have someone that can deal with the business side of things as well. So if I get a company contacting me about making a sponsored video for them, I can just pass it off to Tokyo Creative and they'll deal with it. <laughs> so, yeah, they've been really helpful. And like Chris said, it's a great community of people, and I think that's the best part of it. Um, I've met lots of people through it, and I've had lots of opportunities to travel Japan thanks to them. And 
yeah, nothing but good things to say. How established is that community? Is there like a foreign vloggers community and then a Japanese vloggers or YouTuber there's community? Def- well, there's definitely a big line. I mean, I don't yeah. know any Japanese vloggers personally. Mm. Uh, I've certainly met a few in the YouTube space and our chat, but we're different people with different aims. You know, I don't think my videos, I've always tried to aim them towards British people, Americans, Australians, like people within that sphere that can get the humour um, in a way that I don't think a lot of Japanese viewers can really appreciate my sarcastic undertones. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, people, Japanese viewers are often shocked by the way I talk to my friend Ryotaro, who's on the videos with me and the banter we have. But uh, So my videos, yeah, I try and... There, there's definitely a dividing line between uh, being a, a, a foreign vlogger in Japan and a, and a Japanese vlogger. But it's a force for good. I think YouTube is a force for good in Japan in the sense that it's a very popular thing for younger folks these days. Certainly when I was a teacher, you know, a lot of my students loved the idea of YouTube. They had YouTube personalities they loved and associated with. And it's kind of, you can see why it's become such a popular career path potentially for younger generations. Instead of the old nine to five working in an office your entire life, you can finally do what you want to do and have that kind of liberation. So I think YouTube has actually unleashed a sort of entrepreneurial spirit for younger generations in mm. Japan so that's kind of encouraging and I think that's pretty exciting. Do you kind of consider yourself the uh, foreign correspondents of the 21st century? <laughs> you know, so, um, where people would formerly be sending telegrams from the yeah. it's kind of turned into that. <laughs> I, I did at one point I thought about starting a weekly show just doing like a news roundup in Japan but then I, it was a lot of effort and I didn't think I'd enjoy it but yeah certainly I always tried to cover on contemporary issues and things that were going on. I was forced into at one point with the North Korean missile crisis ah, yes. a few years ago, right? <laughs> I think that's the first video that I, I really saw oh, you really? kind of what, blossom on BBC. Swearing in bed because <laughs> we've woken up by a missile Yeah, <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> it's 6am in the morning, rudely awoken by my phone going vibrating and going mental. And then there was an air raid, this air raid siren going on outside for a missile from North Korea. I don't know if it's real or not. But it's not a very nice way to wake up in the morning. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was just sheer fate. I was in the middle of nowhere, Shirakami Sanshi, which is this uh, forest in northern Aomori. Nothing ever has happened there. Like, nothing's happened. And then <laughs> that one morning I'm there, North Korea missile flies over. You've got air raid sirens going off, television goes off, phone goes off. I thought I could sleep through it, so I could just film it. I mean, that is, yeah, that's too much content not to not yeah. to use, really. Filmed it for like five minutes and it made like two million views in a day. It was on Facebook, the World Economic Forum shared it, all sorts of places. <laughs> and I was on the British News on ITV or something, yeah. Panorama or something, talking about it. It was surreal, you know. That was kind of exciting, though, to be at the front of something like that. Yeah, I've never experienced anything quite like that on that scale. Charlotte, have you had any real breakout videos that have taken off like that? Oh, jeez. Um, what about the one with the bread? <laughs> let's not talk about that. What's the one with the bread? <laughs> let's definitely talk about that. <laughs> that. That was my first viral video. Um, I, I'm just sitting on the floor of my room. I hadn't evolved past that yet. <laughs> and I'm eating a piece of bread, just a plain piece of bread. 
and talking about how it's so much better than the bread in Canada. <laughs> Somehow, Yahoo Japan decided that deserved to be on the front page. So that's where I got my first boost in subscribers. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's like the videos that you really don't expect to go viral. Those are the ones that go viral. <laughs> um, lots of food-related stuff. I feel like if you can find like a wacky food or something, then chances are it'll go viral. Do you still uh, maintain your stance that Japanese bread is better than Canadian bread? Well, white bread, yes, but in general, absolutely not. <laughs> and I miss real bread. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> And what have been your favorite videos to make? I assume at some point, kind of chasing the trend. You want to mm. keep on top of things. But there must be pet projects as well that you've been really proud of. So I'm curious as to those, which which have been the ones for you that have meant the most. Mm, there's a few that stand out for me. I like the one I made on hate mail in 2015. I've done a few hate mail reading videos where it's really out comments of people insulting me and whatnot. Don't spoil the mouths of foreign people with your disrespectful, dishonorable, Caucasian profanity. Disrespectful, dishonorable, Caucasian profanity. That, that sounds a lot cooler than saying just swear words, doesn't it? And it was quite refreshing to take 20 comments of people that hated me and sort of make it into something entertaining um, and monetize the hate, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I took these, these hate comments, the video is me just reading them out, making fun of them. The viewers loved it. They were entertained. I profited from the hate. You know, It's quite exciting to take something so negative and spin it around and make it positive. And I remember spending the earnings of that video on a trip to Taiwan. Fair so every enough. time I ate like noodles or anything in Taiwan, I was like, ha-ha. Funded by guy hate. Called me <laughs> yeah. And then the other one that I like uh, was a documentary I made of my friend, my good friend Natsuki, last year. Um, yeah, one of the most exciting things about doing YouTube is taking my friend Natsuki on that journey with me. He's a guy living in um, Yamagata Prefecture, rural area. And uh, yeah, he, he's been front and centre at the channel since 20, uh, 2013, I think. And he's been seen by 50 million people or so. And so we made a documentary about his life, it was about an hour long. And that was really cool to kind of put him in the spotlight. He had dreams that he had to let go of, about, like a lot of us do. And yeah, it was nice to get his journey out there and show it to the world and get him his place in the spotlight. So that was kind of cool. And how was that received by people? Yeah, it was received pretty well, actually. Um, better than I thought it would be. Um, he went to the UK. To, he wanted to be a rock star, uh, but he had to gave, gave up his dream because it's so hard, especially if you live in Yamagata. <laughs> and um, so he started a beauty salon and then we bumped into each other. God, what a turnaround. And, uh, <laughs> bumped into each other and he became a big part of the channel. And then we were like, oh, let's make a documentary about your life, Natsuki. Let's tell people your story. Um, and uh, yeah, he made this bucket list of things to do. We took him to Europe and mayhem ensued. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nice to give him his hour-long place in the spotlight and give him the recognition he desperately wanted and deserved. <laughs> and how about you, Shala? Hmm, probably one of my favourite videos was a homestay that I did in Akita. Really remote area. I just went and stayed on this farm with an old couple. Hey guys, I'm in Akita Prefecture today in Senbokushi. <laughs> And I'm staying at the home of the Kawaii family, and they're gonna show me some farming skills, and they're gonna cook um, dinner. And I think what I liked. 
the most was that they were both so open to being in my video, which is really rare in Japan. I find it really tough to find Japanese people that are okay with putting their face out there. Mm. <laughs> I especially imagine with the older generation. Yeah, yeah. And they were totally into it. And it just gave a really cool peek into their lives in rural Akita. And everybody loved it. Um, yeah, that was probably one of my best memories. Um, what else I did? Oh, I went to a really cool onsen, also in Akita, I think. Uh, Tsuru no Yu. That's one of my favorite videos. I just think it's really pretty and picturesque. Those are probably my two favorites. You guys must be so popular with the Tohoku tourism board. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get contacted by them that Do much. That's I don't a, know. That's surprising. Not yeah. As, yeah, not as much as you'd think, to be honest, actually. Yeah. yeah. Shame. If they're listening, <laughs> I'm always open for collaborations. <laughs> Chris, you mentioned the topic of getting hate mail from your um, viewers. Um, so I kind of want to focus a little bit on that, the more difficult side of YouTube. And obviously both of you are very public personas. Um, what kind of issues have you guys faced in putting yourselves out there and putting your face out there so openly. Um, well, it's certainly quite a strange thing to be spotted in the street as much as I am these days. It does happen quite a lot. You know, if I walk through Tokyo, it can happen 20 times in one day. Wow. And, uh, is that mostly non-Japanese or Japanese? Non, non, mostly non-Japanese. I'd say one in 10 is probably a Japanese person. Okay. Um, and it's fun, but yeah, it can be a little bit scary you know i'll be sitting in a coffee shop and someone will look at me and keep looking and you know that they know who you are and you're like come on just if you're gonna come over say hello please do if not stop staring at me it's kind of awkward um, and it can make you uncomfortable and uh it, for a time it made me quite paranoid and whatnot walking around the streets and mm. uh, but yeah i i enjoy it it's kind of surreal to walk around and have people know who you are like that um happens in the uk as well you know i'll be anywhere and it can happen but yeah, it's weird because when you make when I make the videos, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Tohoku in the countryside, mm. often in a, a room somewhere or a rice field or a mountain. And you kind of <laughs> see the view count. It might be 250,000 people, whatever, on the view count. And you'd be, often you don't really think, oh, it's 250,000 people mm. out there somewhere in the world. Um, you kind of take that for Which granted. It's kind of much larger than the town you're making yeah. these videos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so... Yeah, the first few years it was quite surreal and I didn't know how to handle it. It felt like it wasn't me. I felt like disconnected from myself mm. a little bit. I didn't really know how to interpret it. So that was one of the tougher things. The hate mail hasn't really been much of an issue. Sometimes it was in the earlier days, but then once I made that hate mail video, it kind of relieved any... Um, it kind of stopped it there because I realised all of a sudden, oh, I've got the power now. I can mm. take these horrible comments and make it entertaining <laughs> and turn it into I profit from it entertain <laughs> and educate and so yeah i kind of went from that point i was like oh i want more hate now this is great <laughs> send me the hate and then it stopped <laughs> hasn't haven't had much recently so it sucks frustrating <laughs> and charlotte have you have you had any issues yeah well you got to be careful about not showing where you live i always am super careful about that i did have some stalker issues when i lived in tokyo now that I'm out in Iwate, it's, I feel a little more safe, but I'm still always very cautious about what information I put out there and I mm. never film near my house or anything like that. Well, there was that absolutely crazy story the other week of someone oh who my tracked God, down yeah. an Instagram model from a reflection in their right. pupil or yeah. right. Or so you got to be super careful. So yeah, 
never film near my house. Um, same as Chris. Yeah, it's really strange having people <laughs> come up to me. The weirdest feeling was going back to my hometown in Canada and having people come up to me on the street. When I left there, I wasn't, you know, <laughs> nobody would come up to talk to me. And now I can just be walking down these streets that I grew up in and people be like, oh my God, it's Sharla. <laughs> it's just the weirdest feeling. Um, it, it's really nice though. It, it's nice to meet people and I enjoy it. But you are very... Uh, aware of it when you're outside and if somebody mm. kind of looks over at you you're like oh do they know me or, or is there like something <laughs> stuck to my face, my face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get kind of anxious i certainly think that's part of the reason i stayed in tohoku all this time because it's right. far less regular there it does happen right. i was I climbed up a mountain in the middle of nowhere once uh, Mount Gasan in Yamagata, and some foreigners there recognised me. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> no escape! But like, um, in Tokyo, it's far less frequent. So I think yeah. that's part of the reason I've, I've stayed up there to some extent. So you guys are now doing YouTube full time. Um, you've made proper careers out of it. Yeah. Um, but where do you see yourselves going with it, and where do you see the future of the platform? We're well, going to be doing VR tours of Tohoku uh, with Charlotte and Chris. <laughs> I, I mean, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker, so that's my trajectory. Mm. Just YouTube's a stepping stone to something. Though to some extent, I always saw I, I kind of stopped thinking about going on TV and just thinking about just carrying on YouTube and building that out. But I had my faith shaken a little bit recently. I made a, as as we mentioned earlier, we made a documentary about Fukushima, right? Twenty minutes, and I thought that'd do really well, but. For some reason, the platform didn't really promote it, like mm -hmm. my usual videos. And I suspect it's because it wasn't uh, uh, the YouTube algorithm determined that the video couldn't really be advertised because it was a controversial subject, Fukushima and radiation and destruction and things like that. So that kind of made me a bit depressed. I put this energy into this 20-minute documentary and then it's bombed. Mm. It's quite an unpleasant situation. Well, that documentary ends on quite a hopeful note, right? With it does, the, end, yeah, it ends on a hopeful note. And I, 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 overall, I'm pleased with the documentary. The critical reception was great uh, from viewers and everything. So that was that was fantastic. But uh, yeah, when you put so much energy into something like that and, it, and your platform that you trust and you've worked with doesn't promote it, yeah, it's quite an unpleasant situation. If I'd made a video of me just eating some silly flavoured Kit Kats, it would have got like a million views probably. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder what kind of content should I make? Mm. Things to please the YouTube algorithm? Mm. Or what? You know, that's kind of... Does that bug you? certainly does now. As of this month. As of that video. <laughs> as of this month. I've had hit video. Before that, I had like five hit videos in a row. Like one on love hotels, one on Japanese relationships, and one on uh, Japanese language schools and uh, things like that. And then, yeah, they all did really well. This one didn't do well. And that's annoyed me. Inshallah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> how about yourself? What's, yeah. What do you see as your trajectory? Um, well, I just kind of feel like it's out of my hands. It's really, I feel like my future's, it's up to YouTube, the platform itself, really. Like Chris said, they're getting a lot more um, critical about the type of content they promote on the platform. So we're more limited about what we can post now. That's really frustrating, and I feel like if it keeps going in that direction, I'll just get pissed off to the point where I stop making videos because uh, I feel like I can't make what I want to make, really. Um, but for the moment, it's going decently, so I'll keep keep up with it and see how it goes. I think there's that sense of, uh, if you speak to any YouTuber, you'll find it, that they feel uh, at the mercy of YouTube to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. You're at the mercy of the platform. So mm -hmm. when YouTube makes changes, 
or doesn't, well, you know, starts neglecting your channel, or whatnot, you you start to get uncomfortable. So for me, I'll be looking at how to expand the abroad in Japan channel uh, and brand outside of YouTube in other ways mm. as well, and to just keep pushing myself as a filmmaker as well. Um, not have all my eggs in the YouTube basket, mm. so to speak. Yeah, probably a good plan. And to end on a more positive note, let's get your recommendations for uh, the best place you've ever been. Ooh. You can stick in stick in the Tohoku region that you would recommend oh, in to, our, to our listeners. Actually, it's some place that I went really recently. Um, we went to a beach in Iwate Prefecture and we explored this cliff area and there's a bunch of caves that you can kind of adventure through, but you have to time it right because the waves come crashing and you have to wait for them to retreat before you can run through to the caves. This is really fun. And I feel like it's just a really secluded area that not many people know about, but now that we're talking about it, <laughs> it might get a little more crowded. But yeah, it's called Unosu Dangai, I think in Japanese, or Unosu Cliffs. And yeah, highly recommend it if you're into more adventurous stuff. Chris? Mm, I think I'm going to have to say, well, I don't know, actually, it's a tough one. Two places. One, um, the area of Shonai in Yamagata. It's a beautiful area, lots of mountains. Great for outdoors uh, as well. Great for being outdoors, but also um, Hachinohe in Aomori, which is home to the biggest morning market in Japan, Asaichi Market. It's got like 500 stalls. It's massive. It's on every Sunday, and uh, it's an incredible place to be. Highly recommend it. It's easy to get to Hachinohe. It's only like two and a half hours by bullet train from mm. Tokyo. So Hachinohe, go there. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> thank you both so very much for joining us on Deep Dive today. I um, really appreciate you yeah, coming down. Yeah. Cheers. That was Chris Broad and Charlotte. My thanks to both of them for coming on this week's episode. You can find both Chris and Charlotte on YouTube and links to their channels will be in the show notes for this week's episode. Chris also has an excellent weekly podcast. I'm sure he could do with the extra listens. So a link to that will also be in the episode notes if you're interested in hearing more from him. I've been Oscar Boyd and you've been listening to Deep Dive. Subscribe to us, rate us and review us on all good podcasting platforms and let us know your thoughts on this episode by tweeting us at Japan Deep Dive. Thank you to everyone who helped make this episode, including our intern Mitchell Estefer and Patrick Saint-Michel. Until next time, thanks for listening. Potskare-sama. <laughs>